This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer. We were speaking to international recipe hunter and the author of Table Tales, Hanan Side Worrell. Fine Diner is a new platform where you can enjoy five-star food in the comfort of your own home. But how does it work and how quickly can it get there? In conversation with Hind Al-Muller, the founder of Home Bakery, about her journey from hobby baker to a global sensation. Eid means food. We are finding about what recipes you can get in the latest Spinney's magazine, Nourish. Wonder with Nada talking food news and naming her top four restaurants in Dubai. And Kapala is a new Mexican restaurant founded by two lawyers we were marking Cinco de Mayo. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It's all about food on the show today and the people who make it, the people that produce it and those who inspire us too and in conversation now with Hanan Sidewarrel who's known as an international recipe hunter. She calls herself a global nomad, has lived on four continents which have inspired her to write her book Table Tales, the global nomad cuisine of Abu Dhabi and she's speaking to us from the capital. Hanan, how are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? I'm well. I'm really excited to understand what it is that you do and, and how on earth you collect and curate um, recipes from around the world. But before we start talking about you and the book, Hanan, you know I want to know what dish you would eat for the rest of your life. <laughs> what would If you had to eat the same thing every day, and I'm sure this is torture for you as someone who loves experimenting and cooking. But is there it one is. dish? I absolutely, when you ask that question, Helen... Immediate. The answer was immediate. And oh. I'm someone who um, doesn't necessarily make quick decisions. But for me, it would be zaitun zaatar with bread. So, Yum. It, you know, zaatar and olive uh, with any kind of beautiful sourdough, baguette, any kind of bread. That's what I have for my breakfast every morning. I have zaatar and uh, and labne and olive oil and some kind of crackers or bread. And I think hey, okay, creature of habit, creature of habit. And then tell us a little bit about you. Um, where's your family from and where did you grow up? So, yeah, so I, I describe myself as a global nomad, but and I was born and raised in Kuwait. My father's Egyptian. My mother is Syrian Lebanese. Um, Kuwait had a large Palestinian diaspora, a large South Asian workforce, um, a hybrid population. So that's that's where I grew up in Kuwait. And then I studied in the United States, um, where I then got married, and my husband's American, and so I've become kind of a a, a, cult, a cultural mutt, I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to us about where food came into play then, because it sounds like lots of different influences there. Who was cooking and, and what were you enjoying food-wise growing up, Hanan? So that's the interesting thing. I, I When I reflect on it, I mean, um, I grew up eating dinner with the family every day at the, what we called, the, my father called the Ma'id al-Mustadira, the round table. Um, and it was the focal point of our home in Kuwait, and that's where we gathered for all of our fa- all of our meals. Um, but I didn't really grow up in the kitchen. In fact, the kitchen was off limits. My my father, my parents, both of them prioritized education and physical fitness. So really, our job was to study, get into the best universities, and play sports. Yeah. And so, literally, the kitchen was off limits. We had a cook who prepared the meals. My mom was a was a teacher, so she's not she wasn't in the kitchen. I wasn't growing up, you know, in around uh, cooking and things like that. Um, but I think it was those those you know that that consistent 
um, tradition of eating together at a table and the food definitely was central and we would discuss, you know, my dad was a, a kind of a, a critic of the food in the sense that he had left Egypt, uh, uh, you know, many years ago, he was exiled from his country. And so he had a longing for Egyptian food. My mom was Lebanese and Syrian, so she didn't, while we, on the outside, you may think, okay, Arabic food, it's all the same. How you make the stuffed kusa or squash in Egypt is very different from Lebanon. How you make um, a, a kenafe in Egypt is very different from Lebanon. And so my mom had to try to learn these things so that she could make them for my father. So he was always commenting and critiquing the food and she would be in, um, she was a teacher. And so in the teacher's room, uh, the break room, they would be exchanging recipes. And so she would come back with recipes for ways to make the Egyptian food. And I think that's where I was really kind of tuned into the different, you know, cultural nuances of food. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of the idea, the recipe idea. I mean, I still have my mom's um, uh, uh, handwritten uh, oh. recipe books. That's interesting because there's such an emotional connection there because there is that idea of, I guess, paying homage to, you know, your father's roots and wanting to make him happy, have that taste of home. So it sounded like there was a bit of a quest that's, you know, for recipes that started the generation above yours, Nan. And then how did that pass on to you? Because it sounds like if the kitchen was off limits, is this you being a bit of a rebel now working in food? Um, actually, not really. So I, I was of that generation where, um, you know, women were at least, you know, my father encouraged it as well, where women were forging their way in new um, sectors and work spaces and so career was very important um my father sent us to uh, uh california college i went to college in california i studied engineering um i was you know determined to have a career in engineering and i do and i did um and so again food was not at that time you're thinking 80s um you know it wasn't so uh, uh, cool to be a chef or to study cooking or, you know, that was a woman's work mm -hmm. um, to be in the kitchen. So, but when I, what, but it was in California that I really learned to cook. And so um, I, I attributed to my uh, freshman roommates um, who would you know, go back home and come, come back to college with all kinds of batches of cookies. So it was really more baking is what I started with. Um, chocolate chip, peanut butter, oatmeal. Like I didn't know what a cookie was when I went to college in the States. There was no cookies growing up in Kuwait back in the 70s and at that time. So that was all novel. And of course, California has a very rich, diverse, mm -hmm. earthy food movement at the time. It was all, you know, alfa growing our own alfalfa sprouts and joining the local uh, co-op and buying our grains in bulk and making homemade granola. So that bounty that I kind of stumbled on there, that diversity was just, I think that's that was the, the turning point for me in terms of food. And now you talk about food so poetically and that really comes across in the book. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. In conversation now with Hanan Sidewarrel, known as an international recipe hunter, and she's brought together some of the recipes she's collated and created over the years in a book called Table Tales, The Global Nomad Cuisine of Abu Dhabi. And what is it about Abu Dhabi that you feel like needs to have a, perhaps a bit more recognition on the global cuisine stage, Hanan? Um, I think I think there's a lot about Abu Dhabi that, uh, 
is it known, which is, I think, one of the motivations that I had in, in telling the story and in writing the book. Um, you know, we moved here in 1993 with my husband for what was supposed to be a two-year assignment. And I think with like many expats, 28 years later, <laughs> we still call Abu Dhabi home. Um, but really, Abu Dhabi is where I realized the power of food to nurture a family and create a community. And I think that's something that was very special. And because it happens around the table and it happens in our homes, um, it's probably less known or less seen. Mm. And so that was that was the story that I wanted to tell, especially, you know, 25 years later, um, we we just had developed great friendships, had wonderful experiences, and then people also move on. So part of the the motivation for writing this book was to to um you know show a side of the city that that is less known but also showing that living here is really an experience and connection mm -hmm. yeah. again and again we see people arrive they leave behind their countries create transitory homes and then they move on but at the same time they leave such a big impression on us and on our lives and who we become and how we see the world and i wanted and and at the core of all of that, what we always hold on to and take with us is our food. It's true. It's, it's so often the centre of those moments of connection and where memories are made. And you're talking there about the round table of your childhood. And this it seems like this book is a really a tribute to your time and, and your history, but also something of a tribute to the, the Emirate of Abu Dhabi as well. And you've got some beautiful recipes in there. Some are you know, quite traditional and, and kind of paying homage to some of the native ingredients, you know, that's that sticky date pudding and cardamom sauce. And when it comes to, of course, we've got Eid um, coming up. What's going to be on your Eid table? Is there anything you're looking forward to cooking already, perhaps preparing, Hanan? Yes. So typically with Eid, I would definitely be in the kitchen preparing the traditional Eid ma'mul or Eid cookie. Um, this Eid, I'm traveling to Beirut to be with family, so I didn't make it. Um, but but Table Tales does have um, two recipes. The one of them is the Iraqi kleche by my dear friend Dream Orfali, who is the master at it. Um, and so it's uh, it's a, a date a date filled uh, shortbread cookie essentially. Um, and I would highly recommend for anyone who loves them and hasn't tried it to try this recipe because most recipes in the Arab world are very difficult to make because they generally are written down with not so much precision and they really rely on uh, uh, passing down from one generation to the other. So what I tried to do here is really be, you know, I, I painfully um, uh, detailed about it, about writing the recipes and just sat in the kitchen with Reem for multiple times to make sure anybody could replicate it. Mm -hmm. So that would be that would be my recommendation is the Iraqi kleche. Uh, there's also a ma'mul, uh, which is more of the Levantine uh, uh, Eid cookie made from semolina and uh, flour and butter. And this one is filled with cheese, which is also unusual, but is from a, a northern part of Syria where they do make it. And it's by my friend Lina Miati. So those two Eid cookies are, are uh, in the book. 
tell us about how you've brought together people and their recipes for this book because you've got people from all over the world you know UA entrepreneurs you know people who work in education and finance from the US restaurateurs from India you know it's it really is just the most interesting cross-section of society how on earth did you start to, to narrow down your Rolodex of, of people and indeed the food they could bring to your table? And still stay friends with everybody as well. Exactly. <laughs> um, it was really, it, it was a, it was a journey. Um, you know, you, I, they say, if you know what you know now, I may not have done it because I hadn't really, I hadn't done a book before, um, but I knew I knew that I wanted to tell the story of the city through the people who made it home and through their food. So I had three kind of lenses. So it's the food, the dishes. So I wanted diversity in the food. And then the people, I wanted diversity in the people in terms of backgrounds, where they're from, what they're doing, because that's also a reflection of Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted um, uh, uh, diversity and when people came to the city. So kind of the time uh, 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 um, spectrum. So the book is organized by decades. And so it goes from the 60s, 70s, 80s till 2010. And I tried to um, group people that came to the city in those decades or came of age if they are Emirati in those decades. And what, re what was really interesting, what I hadn't really, you know, figured out is when those people were giving me their recipes because I asked them to share a recipe that you know meant something to them or a recipe that's like their favorite or their go-to mm -hmm. so when I got those recipes you could tell that the earlier decades tended to be much more traditional uh, uh, comfort home food type dishes and then as we got into the latter decades you had you know more more a little bit more fusion a little bit like somebody who's you know from one country cooking a dish from another like it wasn't about home food while the older decades it was really about people who came here and wanted to cook what they were what they were eating at home and wanted their kids to have that connection to you know the sunday italian family spaghetti and meatball dinner for example and i think um, well, i think what you really achieved through this is this wonderful I was going to say snapshot in time. It's not. It's this kind of beautiful food and family saga um, over over the decades of time. And when when you were recreating some of these recipes, as you alluded to earlier, some of these recipes perhaps have never been written down before. Sometimes it's just been the case of someone standing next to their mother or their grandmother and learning and judging by look or by feel of, of the ingredients and maybe not really even, even a time on how long something's in the oven just by feel what was the process like from turning some of those recipes into something that could be communicated to someone picking up the book for the first time and wanting to get it right the first time Helen that's probably that was probably the most challenging part of the book um, but I think that's also where my engineering training came in um, handy because really writing a recipe I, I equated to writing a, a specification an engineering spec you have to be you know accurate and precise and consistent in in all the steps so in that sense my my uh, left brain was working um, <laughs> in in that um, the the people in the book the western people tended to have the recipes written like there's more a longer tradition of written recipes, so they that were those were easier. Um, 
though my sort of Arab and Asian friends, exactly as you said, I mean, they were like, first I attempt, they attempted, they'd send me the recipe, I'd make it and it would taste nothing like I'd tasted at their place. And so I basically, um, I, I did do kind of a, a crib sheet that, that described the, you know, how to write a recipe to everyone. And I actually bought everybody measuring cups and aprons <laughs> oh, and I sent you. everybody measuring cups and spoons. So like, don't give me any cup. That's the cup that I want. <laughs> a non-special recipe kit. Well, it's yeah. been an absolute labor of love and the photography is beautiful. The stories are so, so touching and a real insight into people's personal history, but also the history of the UAE through food. Hanan, people asking how to get in touch with you and equally where to find the book. So I think that's the perfect way to end. If someone wants to explore uh, your work and this food, how can people find this book? Thank you. So the, so the book is at Kinokonia Virgin, Amazon, um, locally. And uh, you can get in touch with me by Instagram. It's at tabletalesme. Thank you so, so much, and I really do appreciate it. It's tabletales.me as well. If you want to have a little look online, the website there, and if you want those details, feel free to get in touch. Um, wishing you a beautiful Eid break, Eid Mubarak, and thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Just the beautiful Thanks. words and uh, beautiful food as well. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It is all about eating well, and I have to say, I think a few of us are still carrying a few pandemic pounds um it changed all of us the last couple of years um in some way or another and i think some companies in honesty can look back and be really really proud of what they achieved and how they adapted i think some companies perhaps wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for covid19 we saw a lot of companies adapting pivoting that was the kind of buzz buzz phrase wasn't it changing quickly to the way they used to do business and work and one of them was a food delivery business called Boxit, supplied surplus food from hotel buffets to consumers and of course due to pandemic and food safety changes and concerns the founders had to change their game today they've created a new platform called fine dino and one of the founders joined us today sammy allen with us in the studio sammy you know i'm curious before we start talking business um we've got a fantastic prize today 500 dirhams to spend in spinnies i just want everyone to get in touch and let us know if you could only eat one thing for breakfast lunch and dinner for the rest of your life what would it be for it's bad it'd be sushi grilled cheese sandwich says js um and lots of mauritian love for the taro cake which I did try when I was in Mauritius recently. For me, French baguette and salted butter. Sammy, what about you? Uh, just meat. Just meat. Uh, love love <laughs> just a good steak. steak. <laughs> That's so, my thing. You can't win this 500 dirham voucher because you're a friend of the show, but if you were to win 500 dirham to spend in Spinney's, is that where it would go? It'll go on Wagyu. Yes. All the way. Straight to the butchery. <laughs> Thank you for being in the studio. I think it's so interesting to hear what's been happening perhaps behind the scenes that we as consumers might have absolutely no idea about. Um, so let's start with with Boxer. As I said, this was the initial concept, supplying surplus food, which we know food waste is a big problem internationally, and we've seen a lot here in the UAE, from hotel buffets to consumers. Buffets off the menu as a result of the pandemic. So when that happened, this obviously changed, put everything on its head. How did you respond in that moment and how quickly did you realise you were going to have to make some changes? Uh, but quite quickly. So we were we were running on a very fine uh, timeline in order for us to get a product that's actually fit for market mm -hmm. to 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 go live, and we were very passionate about 
dealing with this particular problem. We really wanted to address it. Um, when the pandemic happened with regulations and buffet foods being off the table completely, we really had to quickly kind of, well, the word is pivot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, th- that, that was what exactly what we done. So we already had the contacts and the in, uh, of um, a lot of different hotels and a lot of different restaurants that were already going to be targeting this with us. And they were also struggling. So we realized that with the struggling businesses in the restaurant industry, it gives us kind of an opportunity um, for us to go in and try to generate them some extra revenue. So how do we do that? We realized that food delivery is going to be a huge. Massive. Huge, Massive. huge. Yeah. <laughs> And we decided, we'll be like, all right, so um, let's do something with food delivery. I came back to my founders and the shareholders, all right, we're going to switch the concept. What we're going to do right now is we're going to be providing people with a great fine dining experience at home. And that's where Fine Diner was born. And we created this platform, which is finediner.co. And uh, what we basically do is we focus on every intricate detail in the food delivery process. And we try to give you a really nice experience at your house. Now, I tried a couple of kind of, I guess, fine dining restaurant deliveries during the pandemic. Some worked and some didn't because mm. in, in honesty, sometimes when I think about one of my favorite restaurants, I think I don't just go for the food. I go for like the ambience and the people watching and some of the dishes just didn't travel. You know, they weren't meant to be put on the back of a bike and, and served up at home. How do you ultimately choose which restaurants and even them which dishes would actually lend themselves to an at-home experience? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, Helen. So um, what the reason why a lot of these dishes don't work is because they were not designed to be delivered. And this is the biggest thing about uh, our concept. When we're working with a certain restaurant, um, we're actually taking a look at their full menu and redesigning that menu and even redesigning recipes and ingredients in order to make them more suitable for delivery. Mm-hmm. So we do a roast dinner, for example, right? And a roast dinner is traditionally cut into very thin slices of meat, right? And we started a concept called the fine diner roast dinner. And the way that we do it is we can't cut them very thin because they dry out. And get okay. colder quickly. Exactly. So we actually serve a thicker cut and it's booming people love it you know the 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 key over here is to always just make sure that um restaurateurs used to think that 80 percent of their 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 profits used to come from in-house guests during the pandemic 80 percent came from delivery right now it's sitting at an equal scale so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get concepts that are specifically made for delivery rather than serving your a la carte menu uh, for for food delivery purposes. And what about the cost then? Because I think fine dining, and I do think we're probably going to be adding a zero to what I would normally spend on a takeaway. <laughs> so is there an average cost? And would, let's say for a three-course dinner, which probably would be a traditional kind of fine dining setup. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, um, usually for us, like, um, well, we do have a lot of different concepts. Some of them are three courses. We don't force people to do three courses, of course, but a three-course meal would cost you anywhere between 100 and 120 dirhams, depending on which concept you're, uh, you're after. We do an afternoon tea experience at home where we deliver you a three-tiered platter and it comes served and packaged in a three-tiered platter. We bring it in, we serve it to you and um, it comes with the tea. You just have to pour the hot water and that's Makes only sense. like at 179 dirhams for two people. It's, uh, it's very, very affordable. So what about travel time? As we mentioned earlier, roast dinner, you know, I mean, you're talking there about loving steak. Mm. You want things to to be as a chef would want them to be. Mm. 
45 minutes down Shakeside Road might not mean the optimum experience. <laughs> how, how would you kind of match customers to a fine dining destination to make sure that they're getting the best food and the chef is also very proud to put his or her name to that dish? Uh, great question. Um, so the key over here is not to do 45 minutes down Sheikh Zayed Road. Good. So um, what we try to do with our concept, it makes it very limiting. Um, it, with a traditional concepts, it's very limiting for you to kind of distribute your concepts on across a, a whole wide of channels. But for us, it's very, very easy for us to do that. So we were able to actually launch the Fine Diner Roast Dinner, for example, in four different locations. Okay, just so that we can limit that delivery time. We don't deliver for longer than five to six kilometers away from the location. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you're literally getting it piping hot and ready to eat right at your door. Five to six kilometers? That's, yeah. That's nothing. Yeah, literally 15 to 20 minutes road. That's it. Okay. Mm. Lorraine's saying, uh, I've had fine diner loads of times. Very nice, but the fish and chips didn't work. There ah. you go. Real-time <laughs> feedback. You can pass that on. There you go, Sammy. But mm. this, I love the idea of this because... You know, sometimes I want good food, but I don't want to go out. Um, now, what, what, looking to the future, what are the plans? Well, right now we're expanding. Actually, we're entering into a lot of different concepts. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a huge infrastructure of kitchens across of the UAE right now. And we're expanding right now. We're moving to Fujairah. We're moving to Abu Dhabi. We're uh, expanding some of the concepts that we currently have that are very successful. And we're creating new and more exciting concepts. So we even went into commercial concepts. We created a concept called Six Pizza, which is a, a pizza concept. We've created, we're in the process of creating a fried chicken concept also. And we're just working with all these chefs because the key point over here is to make sure that they create um, menus that are specific for delivery. So mm. we do alter the, uh, the recipes and the ingredients to make sure that you get a great fine dining experience at home. And that's the thing about it is fine dining is just paying attention to intricate details. And we do just that with delivery. So if you could, if I was going to, and I am staying in tomorrow night, <laughs> there's no big surprise there. If I was staying in tomorrow night, what would be your top pick for a menu or a dish that's been your favorite so far? For tomorrow night, mm. I would suggest that you go for the roast dinner. Really, really, really big I'm, winner. I'm British. I've got to have a roast dinner on a Sunday. Okay, Sunday night roast dinner. Beef? Fine. Beef? Yeah, we have beef. Yorkshire we have pudding. lamb shanks. We have the best Yorkshires. Okay. We have the best scones too. So, okay. Challenge accepted. Um, so in terms of getting in touch with you guys, trying out different dishes, what's the best way of making an order? Um, you can make an order at uh, finediner.co, um, F-I-N-E-D-I-N-E-R.co. And you'll find our platform. Easy to place an order and it'll be with you within the hour. Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go. I have to say, I, I might. Could I even pass it off as my own? Could oh, I do like a full course. Mrs. Doubtfire experience and pretend I made it. Had a friend done that before. Yeah, no shame in that game. Sammy, <laughs> thank you so so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye One Hundred Three Point Eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We talk food on the show and it could be cooking at home. Sometimes it's about introducing you to some people or places to go and explore. And I think. With the long Eid break coming up, many of us kind of planning our, our trips around food. Home Bakery is in my hood and I have to say one of our favourite spots for breakfast, but also for picking up what I do believe are the most 
tasty cookies in Dubai. Home Bakery was started by Hind Al-Mullah, who started to cook at the age of just 10. That childhood hobby has turned into a career and something of a sensation she found at Home Bakery back in 2011. She's joining us now to share her story. Hind, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Helen? I am honestly... Honestly, thinking about your um, mini chewy cookies, so I'm I'm struggling <laughs> to concentrate. But it's a pleasure to have you with us. I know you're so busy at the moment, of obviously with Eid around the corner and lots happening there at your branches. So I, I do appreciate your time, especially on a Friday. Thank you, um, thank you. No, I was always a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I'd love to go back in time. Now you grew up here in the UAE, Hind, but yeah. who was who was cooking, and when did you start to develop a real passion for food? Um, I started from the age of 10. Um, I grew up watching my grandma cook, honestly. She, she was in, like she, whenever I imagined someone cooking, I just visualized her. And bless her, you know, like she, 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 she forgets a lot right now. But when I look back at uh, the past and I look at like my childhood, she used to make caramel apples and like flan and cream caramel all from scratch. And they had no recipe, mm-hmm. no measurements. Bless them. Like they, they knew so much then that I'm like, I, I, if she could, if she was like more present now, she would be like, wow, what, what, what else she can do? You know, <laughs> I think about this a lot because I was the same with my grandma and it, it was, she, I don't even think she had scales. She had what, what would look like exactly. a metal, like a metal cone with little notches up on the inside. And that's how she'd measure her ingredients. And she would just whip around the kitchen, you know, putting, you know, flour into this cone and a dash of this and cracking that. And exactly. it, it would come out, come out perfect. perfect. And I'm there Every with time. my phone in one hand and a digital scale in the other, and I still can't get it right. Um, exactly, so exactly. It is amazing. Now, you are a really accomplished baker, pastry chef. You, you had no Thank formal you. training, though, before starting no. Home Bakery. Tell us about turning a hobby um, into a career, because I do believe it did start with my favourite cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see. I started from the age of ten, and I, trust me, it was no like easy way streets in the kitchen. I made a mess, and it was disastrous. And the cook used to look at me and be like, "Oh God, she's here, and she's gonna make a mess." And she really didn't want me there. And it was just practice makes perfect. And it just, I just kept going at it, even though I was making disasters in the kitchen. Nothing was edible, and. It just didn't give up, you know. I was mm. I was very stubborn, <laughs> very stubborn. I didn't give up, and I I made I the first to play at the age of thirteen, and then that's mm. when I kind of gained my confidence, and I was like, okay, I can do this. It's possible, you know. And just kept going at it, doing simple recipes. But I really flourished when I got married, and I had my own kitchen, and I had my own equipment, and I had my own space, and I was like, okay. The mess I make, I have to clean up. You know, you learn the hard way a little bit, but it was that's where the experimenting really kind of went went off. Now, as I said, the the chewy melt cookies were a, a bit of an experiment, but they quickly <laughs> took off in popularity, being taken to the oh, Muchness yeah. and to you know given to friends and family. And it was your yeah. brother who really encouraged you to turn this into a business. Did it actually? Yeah. And I don't know if this is a rumor or not. Did it actually start with a Twitter account? Was it? Was that how people were actually ordering back in the beginning? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was. It started off with BlackBerry and then Twitter. <laughs> oh, the and then I remember everyone. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was those days, BBM, and you had to send the code and stuff. And it was yes. so weird. And then from Twitter, people were like, my brother was like, you know, him, there's something called Instagram. 
And I was like, do you think we're going to work on Instagram? I'm like, I'm not sure, but let's try it. And that's where I kind of saw the business going to another level. Instagram. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Delighted to be joined this afternoon by the founder of Home Bakery, Hind Almala. She started cooking, baking at just age 10. And that hoppy turned from, well, being Twitter-based to being a sensation. How many branches of Home Bakery are there now, Hind? Nine at the moment. <gasps> Whoa. Nine oh at the moment. Goodness. And we're opening in Riyadh very soon. I keep saying very soon, but very soon has been two years with the lockdown. But yeah. very soon. <laughs> That's, Fingers crossed. That is, that is incredible. And this is in just over just over 10 years. But looking back to yeah. when you, before you even opened your first branch, what were some of the obstacles or attitudes that you had to overcome? Oh my God, there were so many, Kellen, there's so many to name. Um, basic was, for example, consumer, like product to consumer, you know what I mean? It's the logistics of the drivers and that was like one thing I really disliked. I had, I would have rather dropped it myself or had them pick it up from me, but logistically getting the drivers to them, uh, no one being home, uh, ringing the bell, they don't have the cash for it. And then the driver's just roaming around with a cake full of cream. And he's like, ah, what do I do with this now? 40 degrees. <laughs> exactly. Oh like, God. that was one thing I really, really disliked. And I was like, I need to open a store so I can stop, ha- stop having this. But we still have deliveries, thank God. But now there's a payment link and it gets delivered to your door. And I don't have to worry about the payment not being done or people are not there to pick it up. So <laughs> this is much better for and- was there a, was there a moment where you, I don't know if you get this as well, where you kind of go back in your head and you go, how did this happen? How is this my life? And, and you and you realise that you are onto something really special. Oh my god! I think it was the first Ramadan that we had. Like I had home bakery, and I remember taking orders like casually. I didn't overwhelm myself. I was like. Being, I was being good. I would take orders I can handle. I'd be finished by six o'clock and then I'd like have my normal life. And then people's orders were not next day, were not after two days. It was weeks apart. And people started getting very, very angry very quickly because they wanted it for like a gathering or mm-hmm. so on. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I literally cannot because, you know, I'm full. I wouldn't like overwhelm myself. So to please all these people, I had to like, Take, take on more orders. Helen, I was working 23 hours a day. The only break I had, I would go and break my fast at my grandma's house and rush back to continue working. I remember not sleeping that Ramadan. And after that Ramadan was over, I looked at my family and I was like, I think I'm ready to have a store now and have some people help me. I think the because demand I can't is there. Answer the phone. Yeah, I'm like, I can't answer the phone and pack boxes and cook in the kitchen all at the same time and have two kids as well to deal with this. Because like, you, so you were doing this with, you know, your, one of your family's maids and a driver and as I said your, your yeah, brother kind yeah. of driving it and you had a family yeah. now you've got this incredible team around you do you still get to get in the kitchen much now Hindu or not? Oh of course of course all the creations is still needs to be approved by me there's a lot of stuff where I go like when I, especially when I feel inspired you'll find me in the kitchen 
once or twice a week. I'll be there and I'll be like, no one talk to me. No one, no one even come near me. I'll send them a list of ingredients that I need. They'll prep it for me. And I'm like, leave me alone. This is my space. Let me create. <laughs> Let me do what I do. And I have to say, <laughs> you have got such a loyal following. We've had some lovely messages as well saying how much they love home bakery out there. So that, that's wonderful. I want, I want to go to the text line now. We've got a couple of questions. Lisa saying, is it possible to bypass culinary school altogether and get recognition, a defined and well-paid career with a global reach. Now, this is something you do. You haven't got that global following, that um, formal training as such, but you do have a global following now. Um, exactly. And, and you know what, Helen? Chefs in the old days never went to culinary school. You used to start at the pot wash and then you go there. That's how you started becoming a chef. You, you, you learned by looking at them and watching them and then slowly, slowly you would go up the ranks. But now there's like schooling and stuff like that. And I did go to school later after I established home bakery. I did go to school, to culinary school to kind of get things done faster a little mm-hmm. bit. And I did it for, for cuisine, but uh, for pastry, I was, I, it wasn't needed. I didn't feel like I needed it. But for cuisine, definitely. A message here from Tony, and I love this question because I was curious myself, saying, is it true, I love a Dubai rumour, is it true that people have come into home bakery with suitcases to bulk buy the cookies? Yes, that has happened. Yes, definitely. There There was boxes, there was suitcases, and it started from my house. I used to get bags delivered to me, like suitcases, bags, and boxes, and they were like, fill this up. No matter how many boxes it takes, just fill it up. So, yeah, if you ever see like a travel bag coming in home bakery, someone has actually asked to fill it up. Someone's going for the chewy, the chewy melts. They've got something special going on. And what are some of the current big hits on the menu, Hinden? I know you've obviously evolved and you've got kitchen at D3 as well. But is there anything that, you know, you know, on the counters or on even on the home delivery, you think actually that's really resonating with customers and diners now? Oh, so we have two new cookies on the set, on the on the menu right now. We have a date and fennel cookie with mm. black sesame seeds, and then we have a hazelnut praline cookie, which is a little bit of a modern French twist to the regular cookie. Um, and then I don't know if you've tried this, Helen. It's uh, it's a healthy cookie. It's called it's just a hazelnut cookie, and it's gluten free, dairy free, refined sugar free, and eggless. Is it taste-free? So it does. Okay, that's is, this oh, is my thing. So many things that are free form. I'm like, yeah, never, never. I know, I know, you wouldn't. Feel, it has to feel bad, you know. <laughs> Whenever someone has it, they're like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "I'm 100 percent sure." Oh, so yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you before I let you get back to the kitchen. If you were going to start this business all over again, would you do anything differently? No, I don't think I'd do anything differently. People want to go, especially with this world, everyone wants to go fast-paced with it. And I think I took it very nice and gentle and slow when I started from home and I built my following and then slowly, slowly, I you know, opened one shop at a time and, and I learn as I go. And if mm-hmm. I did it too fast, I don't think I would have been able to grasp the lessons that life was throwing at me at that moment. So I'm glad that I did it the way 
I did. So. We are too. And thank you so much for your time this afternoon and all thank of your you. hard thank work. Thank you so much for having me. And all the beautiful treats. Wishing you an early Eid Mubarak. Have a wonderful time with your family you in the kitchen and at home. I hope you get the chance to have a break. And yes, I'm going to pop in those uh, those chewy milk cookies. Call my name every <laughs> single time I drive past the Galleria <laughs> Mall branch. So I think I need to give in to the temptation. Hind Almula speaking to us the founder of Home Bakery. If there's any chefs out there that you would love us to hear from, maybe you want to hear the story behind one of your favourite places, let us know on 4001. We love meeting people who are either new to Dubai or have been here forever and a day. Love, love, love talking food on Farmer's Kitchen. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking food this afternoon and joining us on the line is Karen D'Souza from Spinney's talking about what's in the latest pages of Nourish magazine and uh, looking ahead to some great food over the Eid break. Um, Karen, what are your plans? Are you in Dubai heading off? What are you, what are you planning? Um, I'm actually heading off for a yoga and trekking retreat in Nepal. Oh. So I'll be leaving on Monday night and I can't wait. Oh, well, have an amazing, amazing time. A much deserved Thank you break so much. over there. Um, let's talk about what we can be eating here in Dubai. Um, obviously, getting some lovely products from Spinney's and making some things at home. I know you've got some brilliant recipes in the new issue and obviously a big focus on the Middle East. Um, what, yes. what can we be looking forward to eating? What, how are you inspiring us? Uh, so we've got a fantastic issue. I mean, the photography is rule-worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a huge section on Middle Eastern breakfast. So obviously we have taken uh, traditional recipes and given them our own twist like we usually do. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of the things you can look forward to are Emirati pancakes called chibab. And we have had that. Um, I've had Shabab before at yeah, the Sheikh Mohammed Center for Cultural Understanding. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous breakfast. How are you putting yeah. the, the Spinney's twist on them? So we've paired them with a homemade cardamom coconut chocolate spread. Um, and I actually got to taste this while our chef and recipe developer, Caitlin, uh, was here mm-hmm. last month. So she cooked everything in our studio kitchen. Um, so as as she was co- as she was cooking, I was eating. So <laughs> I, I, I can I can tell you with one hundred percent certainty that they are delicious. So do try them. I love this out. perk of the job. So you you've made a cardamom coconut chocolate spread. Now yes. we've had lots of discussions in our house this week because my daughter's been doing some special subjects at school about saving the orangutans and palm oil and she's been going around the house looking at different things um, that have palm oil in and going no this needs to go in the bin um, I'm going to make my own Nutella so maybe this is something that she could try yes. as a bit of a a bit of a, a bit of a replacement okay so That's close to my heart as well is like, it really not avoiding things that have palm oil because of the orangutans well, I've been getting all the facts. Did you know, Mummy, 25 orangutans die? I was like, yes, okay, this is getting a bit depressing now. Um, but <laughs> on the upside, she now wants to go to Borneo, which I do support her in. <laughs> so she's but it's so good that little ones actually know all this now, So because we were quite unaware when we were growing up. Completely. They've written letters to, you know, bosses at different companies and, you know, kind of petitioning them to, to change their ways. It is, it's really, it's really sweet, but I feel like I know an awful lot about this. So if she can get some kind of replacement recipe i reckon i reckon we might have a go at that um, yeah, we're all, yeah what about savory um anything there we could be trying so to this um, we do have a smoked tuna and tomato fate mm. so you can just pick up the smoked tuna from spinnies and uh, that's always delicious and we have a spicy egg salad so it's um grated eggs 
mixed with uh, spring onions, fresh za'atar leaves, Aleppo chili flakes, um, some lemon juice, and it's all tossed together. And um, it's delicious. Yum. Okay, we've got some falafel in there, small plates. Um, and yes, some special so we desserts. have a huge oh. section on falafels as well because... There are very, there's more than just one type of falafel. Is there? Um, and there's a huge trend among chefs to use alternative grains. Mm. So we've uh, got one recipe where we have fike in the recipe. And um, so, and there's another one that uses cauliflower instead of chickpeas. So it, um, so the, the texture is a lot fluffier. Um, uh, and we've also got another one that has baba ganoush in the recipe. So we've got a whole bunch of falafel for you guys to try, and each one is delicious. Oh, okay. I mean, actually, we're going out for dinner tonight, and I was saying, why don't we do something something Arabic? So you might you might have sealed sealed the deal there. We were speaking to your colleague Neil last week about the British strawberries, which I then, of course, went straight out and bought um, the day after. And they did not disappoint. What else is in season that you're highlighting in the magazine and also in store as well, Karen? Um, so we've got uh, British asparagus um, and uh, locally grown tomatoes and potatoes. They're grown by Elite Agro. Uh, Elite Agro is also a member of the Spinney's UAE Farmers Club. And we have organic apples from France. And this issue has an apple and cinnamon fatayar recipe. So usually fatayar is uh, savory, but we've turned it into a um, sweet recipe, which is an excellent option for breakfast or tea time. I love the sound of that. So cinnamon and apple fatayar, that sounds absolutely delicious. That, that's it my, is. And uh, that's another thing I gorged on when Kaysen was here. <laughs> tough job. <laughs> it's a tough job. Now, we obviously talk a lot about on the food here on Farmer's Kitchen, but we've also had some amazing experts on the line recently talking about their foodie inspirations and their food travels. And I know you've teamed up recently with Frying Pan Adventures to kind of have a, a bit of a culinary tour of Dubai. What were some of the big findings um, on those yeah, adventures? Yeah, that, that was so interesting. You know, and uh, Farida, who was our tour guide that day, and she's also one of the founding members of Frank Pan Adventures, um, she's just so engaging and she gives you so much trivia to take home. And um, we, we went around uh, Alriga with her and uh, we went to a Palestinian restaurant, a Syrian restaurant, an Iraqi restaurant, an Iranian one. And in each place, there was something different to try. So the Iraqi, uh, the Iraqi restaurant, we tried this uh, huge fish. It's called masgouf, and it's cooked um, over a flame. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's paired with uh, a mango sauce. So it has tart and tangy flavors, and it's just so subtly uh, flavored throughout. And it, it's absolutely delicious. Um, and we we also had kunafa. Um, now I have never really had uh, freshly made kunafa, so this was a revelation. I also don't. Um, I mean, personally, I don't like sweets that are tremendously sweet. So mm. when I saw it coming out, I said, "Oh my God, this is going to be too sweet for me." Um, but the nabulsi cheese, which is a Palestinian cheese. Um, it's slightly salty, so it sort of offsets the sugar syrup that they pour over the kunafa. And oh my gosh, it was it was absolutely amazing. And I think I had three servings. 
for someone who doesn't think she has a sweet tooth. That's pretty good going. Oh my gosh! It, it, I mean, Helen, you have to go there and have the freshly made kunafa. It's it's to die for. Oh, this sounds like perfect Eid fodder over the next couple of days heading down. Yeah, down I'm, I'm, I'm actually going there this evening for another round of kunafa. You've been totally influenced. <laughs> totally influenced. So the, they, I really do urge anyone who is a bit of a food fan or indeed wants to discover that culinary side of Dubai that perhaps is a bit you know, more of the hidden gems than than the big the big names. Do check out Frying Pan Adventures. It's a brilliant one when you've got guests in town to show them a different side of the city as well. Um, and in coming back to Elite Agri there, you're talking about some of the locally grown produce. Their blueberries are insane, by the way. Absolutely love them. But they've also got tomatoes and, and potatoes. And you mentioned they're part of the UAE um, Farmers Club that Spinney's organises. What does that actually yes. mean, Karen? And what are some of the conversations you're hearing from some of the local producers and growers? Um, so we work really closely with them just to sort of, um, the, I mean, increasing food security in the region um, is something that we work towards, and we really want to support and encourage farmers. Um, and a lot of them are doing are, are doing amazing things, you know, just growing in the desert and, and growing things that you wouldn't think that were necessarily um grown over here so i went to one farm um and um, this gentleman he's been a farmer for 25 years now and um, he has one organic farm and one hydroponic farm and um, he uh, he supplies pennies with uh, cucumbers and um, i think it was um, tomatoes as well um and he's like doing amazing things out there he's he's experimenting with uh, growing things like passion fruit and uh, dragon fruit and all sorts of things and you wouldn't think that's possible but they're just using the technology that they that they get from um, various other countries and they're implementing it over here and it's obviously all grown in greenhouses because of the tremendous heat out in the desert but they uh, i mean he he's he's doing fascinating things i mean and he's and he's having a lot of success um, in growing things like pomelos and, like I mentioned, dragon fruit and um, um, various other things. I love the sound of this kind of being in store and knowing what's happening around. Because when I went into store a couple of weeks ago, I picked up strawberries and raspberries, and they both had the UAE flag. And I just thought, how yes. cool is that? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's really incredible. And kind of in my time in Dubai, just to how much encouragement farmers have been getting you know regulations in place the, the techniques and technology changing and yeah it's, it's it's just wonderful to think of things you know traveling just a few kilometers rather than you know hundreds hundreds yeah, of thousands and it really makes a difference that we're growing locally and we sort of like um it's 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 better it's better for the planet if, you, if things are grown here mm-hmm. um doesn't get much fresher like, really doesn't yeah yeah exactly it's farm to table within 24 hours yeah absolutely amazing um and lastly You've highlighted a fantastic chef, um, Tal Bashmi, who's the winner of the MENA's Best Female Chef at 2022. Um, and she is really passionate about Middle Eastern cuisine and, and you know, putting it in the spotlight. Um, what were some of the kind of highlights you took away from that conversation? And if someone wants to find out more, this is in the new issue, is that right? Yes, it's in the new issue. So um, Tal was actually a, a national football player um, for very many years, and she had to give all that up because she she got uh, she got injured. Um, and then she'd always sort of been interested in cooking, and she used to cook for her, her friends and family. And uh, she decided to uh, pursue that, um, and she's had a lot of success, and she's really focused on. Um, using local ingredients um, in in new in new ways and um, creating dishes that 
people might not necessarily realize you um, use local ingredients and she sort of like leaves that as a surprise for the end you know that oh you know this is actually locally grown so she's passionate about showcasing a local cuisine and she does want to take middle eastern cuisine to to the world you know and uh, and show them that it's not just like the usual stuff that most of us are aware of like falafel or you know baba ganoush or shawarma it's more than that and there are ways in which the all these ingredients can be showcased um yeah so she she is someone really inspirational and she's also heavily into um preserving produce so um she's influenced by scan by scandinavian um techniques and where they sort of um, preserving preserve things for the winter mm-hmm. um so she wants to preserve things that can be used here in the summer because obviously it's difficult to grow things out here in summer in the, in the middle east um so she is heavily into like pickling and preserving and using ingredients instead of just discarding them oh i love the sound of this okay i'm going to yeah. give this a read um thank you so much for your time we've got more to talk about what we've run out of time karen but we will speak uh, next week no doubt actually you're going to be in the pool we'll we'll catch up after that but have yes, an incredible trip come back with some amazing foodie memories and maybe a, a few ingredients as well Enjoy the fresh air and thank Nepalese you. Yeah, lovely food. To you. you too. And thank you again for all the work you do. It's really wonderful to learn more about the produce and for you guys to be using that platform to encourage other small businesses, of course, and to learn about chefs like Tala. Really do appreciate it. Have a great, great Eid break. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I don't know... Nada, how you are going to narrow down your top four favourite restaurants. This is what we're talking about later in the show. I don't think I could do that. So we're going to talk about that process. But before we start talking food and dates to the diary, I'm curious, if you could only choose one thing for the rest of your days, what would you be eating? Tacos, hand down. Tacos. Hands down. <laughs> absolutely. I, you know, just absolutely love them um, and make actually a very decent taco myself. Uh, but I've always like thought like here in Dubai, it's been a bit hard to find like a place mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, truly authentic and stuff. So I think. Wow. Yeah. You, uh, you're in the right place because after half past four today, we are talking Mexican food. Think of the Mayo is coming up. So tacos, get your vote. Good to know. We've had everything from pizza from Naples, rice, chocolate chip cookies, cheese, nuts and chutney. Ooh. Yes, but that does count as one dish. <laughs> and what about you? I didn't actually get oh, to hear yours. F- uh, fresh French baguette and salted butter. Oh, That's, that is just, uh, a good pick. Yes. Think, we're not thinking about nutrition. I'm just thinking pure <laughs> pure enjoyment. Now, Nada, we're surprisingly, as the weather is getting a bit warmer, we're not out of event season. Far from it. I feel like calendar's really amping up. We've had a couple of recent announcements, which is why we've brought you in to really kind of help us understand what we can be looking forward to and how to plan our diaries around eating, as I think most of us love to do. (laughs) Dubai Food Festival is back and it's starting next week, May 2nd, running through until the 15th. What do we need to know and what's involving this year? Sure. So I honestly, I can't tell you just how excited I am that Dubai Food Festival is back, right? So um, they have events happening all over the city. You're right, from May 2nd until the 15th. Um, Everything from four course tasting menus to like 10 course feasts, right? Um, And really, 
this is what's so great about Dubai. It's that it's just one of those great food cities, and it's home to so many nationalities and cultures and cuisines. And so that diversity and the quality of our restaurants' offerings are staggering, right? So deliciousness in every corner, mm-hmm. uh, from like you know hole in the wall kinds of spots to you know even the more glamorous dining options, uh, which often have long wait lists, right? Yes, a big time, and often. cost a fortune and Mm -hmm. you know as as part of this you do have some offerings where they're putting together some special menus or special prices so places that might have felt a bit intimidating price-wise or inaccessible I mean I went to some a couple of years ago and I was like this is um this is surprisingly affordable for really top-notch Absolutely, yeah. So they have, for instance, uh, first of all, master classes. Uh, they also have, you know, chefs' table discussions. Mm. Uh, they've also got these culinary collaborations between great chefs. So, for example, the Dibba Bay Oyster uh, Farm is collaborating with another restaurant to create something special. Um, and you're right; during Restaurant Week, you have many of uh, Dubai's restaurants, about 40 of them in total, that are going to be offering these special set menus uh, for us. At much more affordable rates for lunch or dinner, uh, so they're giving us, you know, an opportunity to get to taste some of their uh, best bites, right? So it's a celebration of the city's food, but we're also getting some chefs coming in as well, and some kind of one-off foodie experiences. You know, chances to go out and, you know, as you say, have masterclasses with experts. There's themed tours, something you know a great deal about as well, and those testing tasting menus as well. So hidden gems and some of the big names too. Where are you? going to be heading? Have you got anything kind of booked or, you know, sorted yet? Sorted? Well, I have uh, just taken a look and I do see that uh, Koya actually has something really special going on. So I'll definitely be booking that soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's also another thing that's happening. It's basically, it's like a street food block party that's going to be held at Dubai Design District on May 6th and 7th. I feel like D3 is actually really overlooked when it when you think about some of the foodie options there. Because, you know, of course, a lot of people work there and there's events there. But as a foodie destination in itself, it, there's a lot of feathers in its cap. I think about a Kipadori, some of, you wouldn't think it, Japanese pizza. Unbelievable. Some of the best pizza in the city. Lighthouse, I love... There's, you know, one cafe. There's, there's some really great spots there. What about you? And if, if you had any good meals over at D3? Yeah, so the same ones you honestly just mentioned. Those are also my favorites. Um, and the great thing is, yes, whenever they do have festivals like this one, uh, there are so many restaurants that also pop up, even if temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so this concept of this block party is actually to foster a sense of community uh, so that Dubaians can kind of come down from their high rises and actually get to meet people and maybe mix it a <laughs> over food, music, uh, performances and even art. I love this. So basically, yes, take some photos, but get out of your phone and meet people in 3D and eat food at the same time. Exactly. Oh, I forgot Mahala for Indian food at D3. Oh, I haven't tried that, that one. That is fantastic. So this is a kind of foodie street block party, D3 6th and 7th. Yep, 6th and 7th. There's going to be a whole lineup of DJs that are going to be playing Arabic music, hip hop, also indie music. Um, there's going to be some uh, skateboarding, break dancing, you name it, they've got it. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Nada, I was just saying to you off air, you know, now the weather's getting a bit hotter. What does this mean for the tours that you host and I guess the number of people coming into Dubai? But you are as busy as ever. 
Yep, still busy and still wandering. So in terms of anyone's unfamiliar with the work that you do and the food that you celebrate and the things that you introduce people to, can you explain it in a nutshell? Sure. So it's, in a nutshell, really cultural experiences here in the UAE for the culturally curious. So people who want to get under the skin of the place they're visiting and really get to know more about its history, its culinary flavors, and just really the culture and people, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what really makes a place. Um, it's the people behind it. And in terms of... The- split of people that are coming for you for tours? Does it tend to be Dubai residents or more visitors? or More international visitors, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so a lot of people from um, the US and UK. Um, Australia is back, <laughs> yes, with a vengeance because they've actually just kind of uh, opened up their borders. Uh, so a lot of people have been traveling and I've actually gotten a few Kiwis as well. So they've Aww. now officially opened as well. Uh, so many people coming to travel. And in terms of availability and how far in advance you need to book, how, what's possible right now? Because I know you are busy. Uh, busy, but really it just depends on the day, the time. Uh, but everything's up online so people can just go on the website and book directly. There you go, Wonder with Nada. We have stolen you away from <laughs> <laughs> you from your public for, for an hour and you mentioned there a big part of what you do is about introducing people to food and you know we're foodies are kind of the lifeblood of the city and a really amazing way of getting insights into you know, the heritage of a city and you know it's foodie traditions but also really celebrating some of the people that have chosen to come here and set up restaurants and celebrate their own cuisine from their home countries and you have boldly said you're going to talk to us about four of your favourites. Now, I did say this is four of your favourites today. If we had this conversation tomorrow, it might be four completely different ones. Yes. Um, I'm really curious to get some of your picks of the city. Let's start with Sticky Rice. What is it and where is it? So this place is over uh, by JVC, right? And it's this really nice, cozy, charming place that's in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Um, And it's a family-run business. So their chefs are, uh, I believe, all from Thailand. And the place was actually founded by um, a woman called Amina, uh, who was the head mama chef who had a very big dream. So she used to actually sell this Hainanese-style chicken and rice dish uh, at the doorstep of her home back in a small village in Thailand just to make ends meet. Um, and people were actually set to line up outside her house just so that they could get you know, their hands on her food before it sold out. So many years later, she actually came here to Dubai and opened up Sticky Rice um, here wow. in JLT, or JVC, sorry. And it is a massive hit. Now, sadly, she actually uh, passed away last year, um, but her passion for food and for cooking lives on. Um, You know, the place serves some of the legendary uh, delicious uh, meals from Thailand, like the Pad Thai and the Pad Kimau. Um, Thai cooking actually combines elements of, you know, Chinese. uh, There's also Indian um, as well as uh, Indonesian. Mm -hmm. So I actually ordered something called the Kanom cheap for a starter. Um, And those are basically handmade chicken dumplings, uh, which you can have either steamed or fried or both. (laughs) So yummy. What a legacy. Yeah. And, you know, wonderful way of supporting that family. I mean, as you say, it's become, it went from a hidden gem to being a real, a real favorite. So Sticky Rice, if you're lucky enough to live there, JVC, it's a, it's an unassuming spot that serves up incredible Thai food. Now let's go old school. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Old school Dubai Meridian Airport down there. <laughs> yes. What's What's one of your picks from that part of town? So this place is called Kiku. Um, now I'm a longtime Dubai resident, and uh, some of my favorite places here are 
just basically pure nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the food and the vibe at Kiku, which is over at the Lemurgen uh, by the airport. Um, and I've actually just recently been after many years. It's where you go when you want to get authentic Japanese food, you know, without actually making the trip over um, yeah. to, to Japan. <laughs> no plane required. Yes, exactly. So their sushi is just sublime. The stuff of emperors. Um, they actually fly in so many of their ingredients from Japan, from the Tsukiji market. So I just, you know, I love the place. And I feel like it's also one of those places where you can have this increasingly rare experience of actually hearing the person who you are sitting right across from. <laughs> Right, because you are speaking my language now. I, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's my age or things are just getting louder. But can we turn the volume down a bit, people? Absolutely, I'm with you on this one. <laughs> now you're going to come to my hood now, bit of Jamira Al Wassel, uh, the Coco Room, and this is an interesting one because it's kind of got a split personality in some ways. The breakfast menu, the hot chocolate menu, is. Well, the stuff of dreams, but also Instagram legend. For anyone that hasn't been, how can you describe it? So I actually just kind of stumbled upon this place accidentally. Uh, I was over by the Galleria in El Wassel and I saw Slider Station, um, which apparently is what it features as at night. That's right. But during the day, it is indeed Cocoa Room. Um, So I am going to tell you something. So I actually don't like eggs when they're cooked, you know, in restaurants, in hotels, or wherever. I prefer the home-cooked ones just mm-hmm. because I think they taste a lot better. Okay. Well, I finally stand corrected. Converted. Yes. <laughs> By what dish? So it was an eggplant fette with eggs and potatoes, Greek yogurt, pine nuts, sumac, and pomegranate. That sounds delicious. Divine. I swear. I just, I couldn't believe how good it was. Um, and they've got a lot of things. So they've got pastries. They've got about 30 different uh, types of egg dishes, including, you know, the crowd pleasers. So you've got like buttermilk biscuit um, egg benedicts and chakshuka. Uh, they also have pancakes uh, and French toast. So Really, my mouth is watering just <laughs> talking about it. So I, I think, I, you know, it's definitely a highly recommended place for I, people to visit. And I think over the next week as well, if people aren't going into the office, then, you know, that nice leisurely breakfast and go out and meet friends and be together and enjoy, enjoy that. But yeah, do, do take photos because it, it, some of them need to be seen <laughs> to be believed. And staying in that part of town a little bit um, further north down Al Wassel, Awfully Brothers, Tell us about that, because these guys are local living legends. They absolutely are. So have you been to Orfali Brothers? Yes, I have. Yeah. So I've only actually been twice, but I love this place so much. Um, the entire team there is just so, so lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very welcoming. You feel like you're walking into someone's home. Um, and so many places can actually cop this attitude uh, after getting as much praise as they have. Because they're award winning now. Yep, they are. So... It it is amazing to me that they are as welcoming as they are. Um, The mains were all fantastic, as were the desserts. Um, So things are basically served on a sharing basis. Mm. Um, And what I had was the Wagyu uh, beef skewers dish, which is actually called Come With Me to Aleppo. And that was phenomenal. I love the names there. There's a real sense of of whimsy there and, and fun and actually really quite simple dishes. You know, maybe one or two ingredients on the plate but done so, so well and so thoughtfully. Absolutely. Um, dessert also was phenomenal. So I had something called the Japanese square, which came with black sesame and the Aleppo pistachio uh, with 
raspberry cake, which was also out of this world. I'm going to have to go back. Yes. Um, message here saying Kiko is heavenly, service is outstanding, and the sushi and one pot is divine. And Chabba saying, is it possible to get a bit of a price range for these outlets? Um, maybe we can just talk a little bit about perhaps some of them. I don't know. More, if we put them in order from super more affordable to more of a treat, would we think sticky rice would probably be at the kind of the budget end of your top pick? No, I would actually say Cocoa Room. Yeah, maybe. Cocoa was actually, actually quite affordable. Yeah. Um, I just found, like, considering the portion sizes and just the whole display, I think that they were actually um, quite, you know, affordable. Um, then followed by, you're right, Sticky Rice, um, and then Orphaly Brothers, and then Kiku. There you go. Hope that helps. Nada, thank you so, so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. Really, really value it. And for anyone who wants to check out your culinary and kind of cultural tours around Dubai, what's the best way of getting in touch? Wanderwithnada.com. There you go. Guys, thank you again for all of your amazing recommendations. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking food and exploring the world through food this afternoon. On the 5th of May, Mexicans celebrate, excuse my pronunciation, think of the Mayo. It's a big celebration when it comes to food. So if you want to celebrate it, you better dust off your sombrero and fiesta your way to homegrown restaurant Capala. It's a DIFC. They've got some great dishes, authentic dishes for the menu to mark the celebration. And joining us now in the studio, Mercedes Torres Lagarde, who's brought in some Mexican food. Yay, Mercedes. Thank you so much for being with us. How are you? Thank you, Helen, for the invitation. I'm very well. Thank you. You know, I want to know what you would have for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yes, and I have been thinking about it. <laughs> and it's, as you know, a very tough question. And I'd have to say... I am obviously biased because I'm Mexican, but I have, I would say chilaquiles. Which is what? Okay, here I go. <laughs> it, it is a traditional Mexican dish that is served all around the Mexican Republic. And um, it's basically corn tortillas, crispy corn tortillas with either green or red sauce. And uh, normally it comes with um, shredded chicken. And uh, some places put a sunny side up egg on top Ooh. and a side of uh, black refried beans. Oh, okay. Sold. That sounds pretty amazing. So tell us then about growing up in Mexico and some of the things you were eating that you ultimately wanted to bring here to Dubai. Exactly. So this is how Copala was born. Um, I've been here for almost 10 years and I truly missed um, my country, my food, my culture. And um, after, well, all this time here and meeting other compatriots who we're going through the same frustration of not being able to find an adequate representation of our food and our culinary heritage is that uh, we decided to to embark on this journey and uh, contribute to this amazing city that has brought us and continues to bring to us the best of the best from all over the world. And uh, we said uh, it's now or never, especially after COVID, that mm -hmm. one realizes of all the dreams that you've not accomplished. So uh, we met an incredibly skillful, talented, gifted chef, a Mexican compatriot as well called uh, Adan Naranjo. And so Alberto Tamirano, Adan and myself decided to open Copala. Now, we should say this is not the only thing you've got going on. You're working as a lawyer as well. So, I mean, are you in DIFC for your day job? 
Um, yes, is, I, is, I is, is this a really selfish move so you can get really good Mexican food or whatever you wanted? <laughs> well, I have to say part of it, it was selfish. <laughs> but we, we, I thank you for that. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, no, we have to say we started thoroughly the market and uh, we realized that in this part of, or rather on that part of town, there was a, a big gap mm. and, and lack of real Mexican food. And so it so resulted that uh, DIFC was the best place to open up. And uh, there we are. Now, we are really lucky here. We have got cuisines from all over the world, but some are quite underrepresented. And I think Tex-Mex, perhaps not, you're making a face. Yes, exactly. But, But do you find that really frustrating that a lot of people think that is a real representation of your home country? That was one of our, our, our main points that we wanted and the distinction that we want to make with Copala. That uh, obviously Tex-Mex is known around the world. It, and it has its place. Sure, and it's delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's super tasty, but it's not real Mexican food. And uh, and this is part of our, our, our project, which is to share with people and to teach people what Mexican food and our and our culture and our heritage is. So you, you, you'll find in Copala all the dishes that we have at home or in a food stall or in a restaurant, be them traditional, be them uh, just home-cooked food or some fancy uh, schmancy dish that Chef Adam comes up with. You're bringing in a lot of ingredients from Mexico as well. And I'm, you know, we know with sourcing in Dubai, sometimes it's great and sometimes it has its challenges. Um, if we're going to come over the weekend, yes. Mercedes, what do you think we have to eat in order to have a real taste of real Mexico? Okay, so uh, we have a regular menu and we always have at least once a week a new dish that's not on the menu and that and that is made with fresh ingredients coming. The key ingredients that we bring from Mexico, for example, uh, Mexican avocado from Michoacán, from where the avocado originates in the world. Uh, we have cotija cheese. We have a sope, which is something that you might otherwise not find. Um We have our own creation, which is a a crispy marinated tuna gorditas. A gordita is a cornmeal uh, pancake stuffed with the crispy marinated tuna and uh, sour cream and a little bit of cheese. And this is something you will not find anywhere else. And uh, you, you would find, of course, enchiladas, red and green enchiladas. The green enchiladas are made with uh, green tomatoes that originate from Mexico. So they have a quite unique taste. Um, What else, for instance, I I mean, we have a special set menu, degustation menu for the 5th of May celebration. So this is next week. Exactly. This this sounds like it would be the perfect opportunity to really explore and educate ourselves around this food. Um, We've run out of time, but I thank you. You brought in some nibbles for (laughs) Kuna and I to be be having. Number of questions going. Do you um, do you cater to vegans? I don't know. Do you cater to vegans? Absolutely. We in fact have an entire vegan menu, and everything is done in house, and it's not over processed things and stuff that you don't know how many other mm-hmm. additives they put on. Real food. Yep. Thank you, Mercedes, exactly. so so much. My pleasure. What's the best way of finding you guys online? Having a look at the menu, and obviously coming down as well. Um, absolutely. Well, now you can find us on Instagram. We are at uh, Copala Dubai. And uh, you can uh, find us there and also on Google, you'll find information and you can just call us up. Well, thank you. Um, how, how, how do you say happy Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> Feliz Cinco de Mayo. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Really, thank really you, appreciate Helen. it. The spelling, never matters going, how to spell it? C-O-P-A-L-A. Mercedes, thank you so, so much. Really looking forward to exploring some authentic Mexican cuisine right here in Dubai. 
thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.